Morty! Morty, we need to go back. We need to go back to 1982, because there's still some horror movies I haven't seen on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention, planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Welcome to another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I'm your host, Insane Mike. But Michael Winslow... He loves doing the, the Marty. Marty! He gets any chance he gets. That's the, I think that's the longest duration of, of Doc Brown I can that tell, I've ever done. I can tell that by the, halfway through, you're like, I've never done this much I, I know. Doc Brown before. I, I don't st- know how to do it. It kind of started to hurt, and I got yeah. scared, so I got out quick. Yeah, that's what she said. But how, how was it? Because you only ever heard me I'm just never- go, Marty! How was the rest of it, though? It was perfect dead on. <laughs> it was the perfect impression of somebody doing a bad impression of Dr. Yes, Ryan. got it. Nailed it. Awesome. So, yes, this episode of Attack of the Killer podcast, we are talking about horror movies. And not just any horror movies, but horror movies from one particular year. Um, it probably goes without saying... So I'm not going to say it. Oh, I was hoping he'd say it. All right, I'll say it. Uh, that a lot of us here on the show are fans <laughs> of horror movies from the 80s. And I feel like that the movie horror movies from the 80s was was the most plurif- plurific. Nope. Nope. No? <laughs> Prolific. Pro- no, just say what you were saying. The biggest <laughs> era for horror movies of all time. Like there was so many horror like movies. Like four hundred and seventeen. I just made that up. I oh, okay. <laughs> just kidding. A lot, but not just the eighties in general. But the first half of the eighties was insane for horror movies. So this may not be the first, the first episode, or this may not be the only episode where we do just a particular year. I kind of like this idea, uh, even though we're all so unprepared for it. So we'll see how it goes. But um, but I chose 1982 to, yeah. as the first one that we that we do, and now I, the reason why I picked 1982, and I'm probably I'm, I'm remembering my facts way wrong. I says I can't remember if it's 82 or 83, but one of those years had such an insane amount of theatrically released horror movies that I don't even think it could compare to how many theatrical horror movies have been released in just the past decade. You know, I think just the in the 2000s there haven't been that many theatrical releases as there was in like 1982 1983. Um, it's just insane amount of horror movies and the fact that some of these movies were actual theatrical releases boggles the mind even more. So so that's what we're going to do. But here's here's the question we're all asking. Okay. Are we going to go through all this will be the first 17-hour episode. Of oh, my God. No, we're not going to go through them all. We're going to uh, just, just pick our favorites like we normally talk, do. Talk about favorites. And, um, and uh, you know, there was a list. Even the list was way too long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> With two days' notice? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think uh, there's going to be some common ground of some films that we can talk You've about. You've had your whole so. life to prepare for this episode. Oh, yeah. And believe it or not, there was still... This is how many movies <laughs> that came out in 1982. There were some I haven't seen. That's nuts. I know. 
So, uh, so before we do that, let's introduce everybody to the podcast crew. I have no introductions for anybody. Oh my god! So, first up is Jason Bollinger. I. <laughs> I got nothing. I'm sorry. Oh gosh. Next up, everybody's favorite, Terry Turford. Hey, I'm the favorite. Favorite. Aww. The TKP final girl. Oh. That's right. As in, they finally have a girl. Finally. <laughs> the first girl we knew, we had to make her be on the show. <laughs> Next up, uh, ever reoccurring guest on the show. He should just be a member already. Sam yeah. Hayes. Yeah, Sam. <laughs> Good evening, boils and ghouls. See? And last up, the newest member of Attack of the Killer podcast and our Japanese giant monster movie aficionado, <laughs> Brian <laughs> Clark. I was born in 1982, so happy birthday to me tonight. Hey, it's Brian. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, happy birthday. Ten. <laughs> oh, fuck you all, I was ten. <laughs> and so there are a couple podcasters not here tonight. Yeah, that's true, there is. Yeah. Those fuckers. Yeah, those assholes aren't even really get mentioned, I guess. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, I still uh, love you, John. <laughs> yeah, John Stalter's not here. Um, but ironically, we're still having a segment tonight. That's weird. And um, I'm I'm just kidding. Oh, that joke did not work at all. So I should probably just move on. And no Dustin again tonight as well. So um, I think I was spoiled last time he was on. I was like, yeah, you Dustin. So anyway, anywho, 1982. Some might say the year of horror. Some might. I don't know who they would be. Oh, I guess it's us. So, there's a lot of great stuff that came out that that year that I know <coughs> we've talked about at links on this show. So, I kind of want to stay away from The Thing, Creep Show, Poltergeist, unless you really have something you want to uh, say about those films. I won't hold you back, but uh, um, Slumber Party Massacre was another awesome one from that year um, that I know we've talked about quite a bit. I will start us off because I'm really excited to find out what a certain individual thought of this movie. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it's not who you think. So we're going to start off with uh, Frank Henenlotter's Basket Case. Because I I caught Jason watching this one. I've seen it before. But it's probably been forever. It's been since you've watched Stanley Kubrick's movie about a hotel. Exactly. (laughs) So forever. (laughs) So, with this new viewing, Jason, it's it was cool because um, I got to party with Frank Hankertekatin. Frank Hannenlauter. No, the the oh main guy. His name's oh the guy played Dwayne. Yeah, I got Kevin to party with Van Kevin Van Hintenrick. Holy shit! Really? Where when was that? It was the same year that we partied with Debbie Rashan. Oh, yeah, it was cool because uh, he was there, and he was cool, and he like, and so at this convention, they have bands play, and like, I don't know what happened. He got like super wasted the night before, and like the girls uh, dared him 
to play guitar and sing us songs. So after all the bands got done, someone gave him a guitar, an amp, and he got up and like sang songs to us, like his songs and shit. It was fucking weird and not super great, but it was cool because it was him. (laughs) And he was totally like hanging out. I mean, like at Crypticon, Kansas City, notorious for... Oh, hey, there's another celebrity uh, sitting down next to you or walking next yeah. to you. It's very all in the Casual. mix. Yeah. But this dude, he was he was always there when you turned around. Just, <laughs> excuse me. And um, so it was it was really cool, like getting to hang out with him some, and and so hey, he's but he's you know he's a little older now. Yeah, and so seeing him in this, uh, like I just every every scene he's in, I'm just like he's so young. He's a baby like, in that time, movie. He really is. Because even when you watch Basket Case two and three, which is with like two is literally supposed to take place like the next night after they jump out the window, and it's like yeah, it's uh, he's a lot older. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I liked it. I thought it was great. I mean, it's. Yeah. Well, I just wonder because, like, you know, for um, for those of you out there, uh, we have a we have um, a Patreon where you can join and you get bonus episodes. And we just recorded a bonus episode where we talked about movies that didn't hold up from our childhood. And since it's been a long time since you've seen Basket Case, I wondered if it still hold up. I think it was better because. Oh, nice. My. Uh... My shit meter? No. Whatever influence, I don't want to give props to you having on me at all because you'll the appreciation for bad movies is higher than it ever has been. So like I could, it didn't bother me how bad all the acting was. I didn't bother me how terrible the effects were most of the time. It didn't. Uh-huh. It's like okay, that's what it is. Just look past that. Hear the words. See what's going on, you know. See the heart, uh, see the that was put into making it, you know. Get the gist, you know, what they were trying to do, and yeah, it was it was a cool little monster movie. But but the thing is, is I mean, I here's the thing. I for me, I don't consider it a bad movie. I still think it's a genius film. I and um, but what what makes you what um, what bad movies makes you appreciate is being able to overlook its flaws for right. for what's because genius about there it. are many mike there are many and i understand the bad acting <laughs> you thing you called it genius so like your reputation the is on genius. the i mean it really quite questions your i don't know maybe because okay fine whatever maybe it's maybe it's a, with the feelings that it gave me when i was a child but the, the movie still gives me those same feelings there's still so, awesome. i think some level of of creepiness that goes on in the film. Oh, it is. I can't listen to him scream every fucking time. It's it's scary. I mean, it's it's not Belial's yeah. Belial scream. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, it like gets to you mm-hmm. for sure. It's like the most real part of that movie is his screams. I love the design of Belial, totally. even though the execution is not a hundred percent. And that's the we overlook that. Yeah. Whatever you know, but the, and the thing is, is I would take a stop motion Belial scene of him crawling across the ground versus like you know a CGI Belial or even like even like a full on puppet Belial like they did in the second and third movie. 
Really? Yeah. You. I don't know. There's just you something can see about the seam in the plastics on the hand. And it's kind of worse in part two and three, it's, to be honest. It's bad. You. you wouldn't rather have a CGI hand that you see. No, because there's know? there's a griminess about does that movie. Does it make movie. it better? There's. A, I I really think it does. Does it would Texas Chainsaw Massacre be as a powerful a film if it didn't look like some? some yeah, but it didn't found... have any flaws. What's that? Oh my god! Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But but I also want to touch base on the acting. Yes, it's not good it's acting. Bad. But there are levels. There's different levels of bad acting. That is a tolerable bad acting. That is an acceptable bad acting. That. Unlike unlike the mutilator, where that's just like cringeworthy slash laughable. No man. Oh come on. The the neighbors. That and then the black well, the minor lady. characters are obviously. She talks a lot in the movie, and it's not. Who good. Beverly Boner? <coughs> okay. The hooker. The black. The, yeah. the black hooker. Yeah, it's Beverly. It's Beverly not Bo- good. Beverly Boner. Beverly Bonner. I know you say Boner, but it's probably Bonner. It's probably. Boner. <coughs> it's yeah. not good. Yeah, I kind of wish you all of watched the neighbors the were not good. I mean, I don't mind the like hotel owner. He, everyone's over the top, but if they're not over the top. And they're way under, and it's bad. Like the the spying old guy, not good. He's like someone they somebody's dad. But it's tolerable. No, the the girl is not. There are you is kidding So me? much acting in that movie that is not good. I mean, I'm not saying it's good, but it's tolerable. It's bad. You you put did it ruin it. the movie for you? No. So how so so what kind of level is that? Well, I, we're talking about the acting. The acting yeah. is terrible. His even even the main dude's acting is terrible. But are there movies out there where the acting is so bad that it ruins the movie? Yes, and this one could easy. Is it everything for else that people. saves the movie then? Yes. Oh, okay then. Yes, if you pulled out just the acting for this, oh, it would be one of the worst movies ever made. If it was a stage it's, play? Yeah, it's... Oh, Basket Case stage play. No, but it's... I mean, <laughs> it's, it's... Yeah, it, it's not good. But yes, you overlook it because everything else is cool and, and the heart of it and the story and because you want to figure out what's going on or why, what, what. But just other, don't look me in the face and tell me the acting's good. Not I one, not, say, not did, one actor in that movie is very good at acting. Did I say at one, any <laughs> point that the acting okay. was good? You, you used the word genius. No, I'm just saying there's different levels of bad. Right. And this is I, I just it's not. I Ed don't Wood. like the idea it's of lumping these in with, with it's every Wood. bad performance <coughs> in a movie. <coughs> I just, but I don't want to crush your childhood favorite dreams either and i know i won't it's not but, i know yeah but <clears throat> i had another point i was gonna bring up and i forget now oh. got me mad <laughs> <laughs> yes mission <laughs> who else has seen basket case terry you've watched it lately haven't you not lately but for the show yeah i i don't remember what episode it was for but i did watch it not too long ago it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I liked it. That was cool. probably for the freaks and mutants one, wasn't it? Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, probably, yeah. 
something. <laughs> yeah. So. <coughs> that's all you gotta say about it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I mean, yeah. Alright. What about, <laughs> what about you, Brian? I know you can back me up on this. Oh, yeah. It's a great movie. It's anything that. Okay, I mean, yes, the acting is very amateurish. Yeah. What? Oh, but. It's a, huh? It's a great movie? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anything that's that fucking demented is automatically great. Totally. No, it's fucked up, and it's, you know. Yeah, technically, is it the most polished thing ever? No. But w- would I rather see a. a uh, a rubber molded creature suit that they didn't have time to trim the seams off of than a CGI monster? Fucking absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I can, you know, I, I don't mind a little, well, I mean, I, I watch a lot of crap, so bad acting has to be really bad to, to make me bat an eye. And sure, it it doesn't bother me at all because you know, that, no, and it, it didn't necessarily bother me either. It's just, I'm just like, don't tell me it's good or, or don't say that it's not bad because you know it's bad. Just because you're used to it and it doesn't bother you doesn't mean... I, I, I don't think it's bad, though. There's, there's a difference between a cheap movie and a bad movie. That movie was made by someone with a vision who poured their yeah. heart into it. And, you know, at the end of the day got his point across. Like, you see what Lauder wanted you to see on that screen. Um, yeah. I... You know, just I, through, I, because of a lack of resources makes it, you know, really fucking rough around the edges. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that makes it a bad movie. I mean, just because it doesn't look polished doesn't make it bad. I, I've, I've seen oh. lots of extremely well-produced, polished clean-looking, well-acted movies that I think are absolute utter piles of shit that I would rather watch Basket Case any fucking day than those, so. Yeah. Yeah. The thing, too, though, I also think, I also think this is Hennon Lauder's style. I think that is what he wanted, really. I mean, he probably would definitely do things different if he had a bigger budget. But then go back and look at the rest of his filmography as far as performances go, and crazy shit that happens, uh, it's kind of still all the same as, as what goes on in Basket Case. And I just think that's his style. I mean, I think, because there's obviously there's obviously another level of things going on in that movie than just it being uh, a horror film. You know, Henry Lauder has a lot of uh, comedy influences, and he has a lot of, like, B-movie and drive-in uh, drive-in movie influences as well. <clears throat> I mean, it's no big secret. He's a, he's a big contributor to something weird video. Yeah, well, he's the curator of that collection now, isn't he? I mean, he yeah, he's into that I kind of thing because he loves ranks. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because yes, exactly. Because his, he loves it. He knows more about nudie cutie movies than probably I know about George Romero. Uh, so slight tangent time, but have you seen the documentary That's Sexploitation? No, he, it's out. Yeah, it's uh, Don Severin put it out um, a few months ago. I think I've got. I just watched awesome. it recently. It's fantastic. And way off topic, I was not prepared for how much he looks like Mickey Rooney now. 
<laughs> yeah, I could see that. I follow him on Facebook, so I see a lot of his current pictures. And yeah, I can see what you're saying there for sure. Cool. I didn't realize I was out. I have to. I have to get that. I've been. I've been wanting to see that one since he first announced he was doing it. But it's yeah, it's Severin. So it's it's not a, something weird film though. Unlike the Herschel Gordon Lewis documentary that he worked on. Well, that something yeah. weird is no longer a you know putting out new material entity, are they? I mean, I know you can still get some of their stuff mm-hmm. like as a. Uh, press on demand like pro dvdr kind of thing and they have a few blu-rays out but it's all stuff they've done yeah. before they're not still yeah i don't introducing it, new material yeah anything that they're putting out is just through their website anymore i don't think they have any distribution through like like uh, Im- when image was pressing their dvds and blu-rays um <clears throat> now there's a whole episode right there <laughs> yeah yeah exactly we should do a Something weird episode, sure. Um, it'll just be you and I talking. But, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, Sam, you've seen Basket Case, right? Oh yeah, no, I I love it, man. I mean, sure, it's it is amateurish, but you know, I think you have to distinguish between like amateur bad acting and like you know, just completely you know, wooden cardboard type acting. I mean, I, I think, I think acting is good as long as, you know, you can suspend your disbelief and believe that, you know, they are the character. I mean, when it, when you start to, you know, when it starts to seem like you're watching actors instead of characters, I think that's when, when it goes bad, but, you know, like, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, it's not, it's you know, it's not polished. But you know, when I'm watching a movie like that, when I'm watching Basket Case, you know, I don't have a problem believing that they are the characters. <clears throat> awesome. You know what I mean? Cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. I totally know what you mean. And here's here's another, th- another bit I wanted to throw out about Hen and Lauder, and why I think like. A lot of that, a lot of that, quote unquote, badness is intentional, and part of his style. <clears throat> I remember the first time I watched Frankenhooker. I hated it first time. I, mean, I love the movie now, and don't get me, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's awesome, but I think it took me a while to realize what Hen and Lauder was all about. And the thing that originally bothered me about Frankenhooker was I thought the effects were horrible and amateurish. And that's Gabe Bartelos. And Gabe Bartelos is a brilliant effects artist. He does great work. He's done some amazing stuff. But he did he did all of those, you know, mid to late eighty Hen and Lauder movies that all just look like, you know, first year art student did the effects. And it was even later that I that I had learned through interviews with Henenlotter that that's what he wanted, that's what Henenlotter wanted, and even Gabe would be like, "We can do this better, Frank. We can make this look better." <clears throat> and Frank's like, "Nope, I want it to look like this." He wanted that that bad look, that cheesy look, and kudos to Gabe to put himself to put his work out there and have it look purposely look bad, but. Uh, <clears throat> 
you know, you know, kudos to Gabe for entrusting in him Lauder's vision. But, uh, um, but yeah, so I think all of that stuff is intentional. Yeah. That's just the type of filmmaker he is and wants to be, and the type of movies he wants to see and wants to make. So, which is also the same stuff I want to see. Could be, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so we can move on. Basket case. Who wants to bring up an, another movie? Jason. I just talked about basket case. I brought it up though. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, Terry, what about you? Uh, well, I did watch a new movie in prep for this episode. I watched Tenebrae. Woo! Yeah. Damn good stuff. Which was shamefully my first Argento movie ever. Oh. I know. <laughs> but it was... Off to a good start. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I did note um, the lack of bras on everyone. That was definitely something yeah. I noticed. I'm sure that's one reason why you're you're a fan there, Mike. <laughs> but also, does the theme of breaking windows and or glass happen in all of his movies or is that just no there's like a lot of that <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of that a lot like i started giggling after like the third or fourth occurrence i'm like come on like this is yeah, just getting silly maybe not quite as quite as much as tenebrae but yeah i'm thinking back i <laughs> like uh, there's a big window break in suspiria there's, there's one, one in, there's one at the beginning of Phenomena. Phenomena. That yeah. they actually used a special camera to film. Like they shot it at some ridiculous frame rate that no one had ever really been trying at that point to to get it in the slow motion to capture all the individual <laughs> little sparklies of glass flying. Yeah, it's a it's crazy. It's brutal looking because it's all so slow. And so you just you just feel every shard of glass going into that girl's face in that in that one. You you'll watch that one, Terry, and you won't think it's funny. <laughs> well, I mean, not that they were funny in this set. It was just that it kept happening yeah, yeah. just seemed a bit <clears throat> much. But yeah, no, it was great. I mean, I love the story following the the book and all that and the whispering killer and it was fun. The dog attack was like, I thought that oh, yeah. was like one of the most brutal things in the whole movie. It's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, and that scene was that scene overly terrifying for me because when I was when I was younger, I used to walk around walk around my neighborhood late at night, even beyond my neighborhood. I just would walk everywhere late at night, and nothing would nothing was scarier than just like neighborhood dogs. Yeah. I don't know how many times like a dog would just start following me when I'm walking late at night. Mm-hmm. So that scene, and she couldn't get away from that goddamn dog. He's like jumping fences and yeah, it was a hardcore dog, man. Yeah, you, she shouldn't be walking around with dog treats in her skirt <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> at least it wasn't a chimp with a straight razor. <laughs> Well, and I was yeah. That's, oh, there's a lot of animal themes that go on in Argento's movies too. By the way, Terry. Oh, well, I was mm. just. I mean, I was curious about 
like obviously he isn't an Italian filmmaker, but the, were these mm-hmm. filmed in the U.S.? Was I mean this one in particular? I guess. Like. I mean, but, it seemed like it seemed like some actors were not dubbed, and others were maybe, or maybe I was imagining it. Well, I'm not sure about Tenebrae, but the Italians in general are fame. Their whole film industry was about overdubbing, right. even in their even in their own language, um, just because they didn't they didn't record natural sound uh, a lot of the times. Gotcha. Just, because they, they didn't think about things like locking down the set or whatever. Mm. Um, and and so th- they didn't care about what noises were going on. So that's why most most Italian movies, even if they are in its native tongue um, or even spoken in English, it's still it's still redubbed. So yeah. so but I'm not sure about Tenebrae because you're right. There's those, some of those scenes with John Saxon where it's like, okay, this is obviously dubbed. And then other yeah. scenes, I'm like, that sounded natural. So yeah, it was hard to tell. I kept try- like I kept paying attention because some were really overtly obvious, and other ones I was just like, mm, I can't tell. Yeah. Not that I should have been focusing on that, but well, sometimes that audio is a little jarring. Yeah. So I, I and speaking oh, of audio, uh, this was my first movie with Goblin, Woo! which. I, well, I read a little up on it, and apparently they weren't technically together for this. Is that right? Like, Argento requested, like, the group, they were kind of billed separately? I don't know. I, I don't know the full history of Goblin, to be honest with you. Yeah, I thought I read somewhere that they were technically broken up, but Argento pleaded with them to come back. I was watching for the billing at the end, but I missed it, I think, but... But see the thing is, well, I see. I just don't know because I don't know which which scores are straight up Goblin and which scores are individual members of Goblin. Right. Because I know there's still a lot more of that stuff to come after 1982. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I th- yeah. So, but I don't know if it's all of them or if it's just individuals. But oh. well, for a while, I think Claudio Simonetti was just, you know, he he have whatever musicians with him and still call it Goblin because it was his thing. And then they got back together. That's what uh, John and I saw him a a few years ago in Chicago. And uh, shortly after that, and even then they had a couple of new members because I I can't remember if the the original members were dead or just wouldn't come back or what the deal was, but they were, you know, officially Goblin. It was Claudio and uh, the other main member who's name I'm forgetting at the time. And then shortly after that tour, they split up, and now there's like three different bands calling themselves Goblin. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, because there's Goblin, there's Goblin Rebirth, and there's one other one that I forget. And, yeah, it's it's a very convoluted thing. But um, as far as the... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, now that I think about it, I'm remembering Demons, and I remember Goblin actually having a credit. So... So yeah, so I don't well, know. regardless, the music was kick ass, and yeah. I was super into it. Like as soon as it came on, I'm like, oh my god, I love it. Mm-hmm. Fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's definitely one of the better Goblin Argento scores, I think. Like probably <clears throat> probably Tenebrae, Phenomena, and Deep Red, I think, are my favorites. No Suspiria. That's good too. Maybe fourth. Okay. 
I forgot about Deep Red's score. That is a good one. Yeah. But I, I'm with you with Phenomenon. Oh, it's yeah, I, like, that's my favorite for sure. Well, it's just awesome that you can have scores that give you emotional effects without having the visuals, you mm-hmm. know? Like, there's that, there's some of that, that pounding stuff that goes on in the Phenomenon score that's just, like, um, you know, like, putting on the edge of your seat, just, like, uh, ten- just quite, t- quite a tension builder. You just feel tense listening to that shit. Yeah. That, that score rocks. Mm-hmm. That's that one's probably that that and Suspiria tied for my favorite one. Awesome, yeah, yeah, and and this movie specifically, I think he really, it you know he really showcases the score. You know, like the characters themselves are actually listening to it on the record player and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. that scene was always kind of weird for me. The two the two women that are living together or whatever. It was yeah. a little awkward. Yeah, because then all of a sudden, turn that down, and she pulls the needle off of the record player, and it's like, oh, wait, that was the score. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, <laughs> I thought it was okay. But, yeah, yeah no, I, 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 love how, I love how he, you know, and there's that, of course, the, the famous uh, uh, long shot in that scene, the long take. And I think I just love how he just kind of holds back with the visuals, he just kind of lets the shot do its thing, and it's you know very minimalist. And then he plays that score over it, and I just think it's like a good balance of music and image. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Jason, you also rewatched this recently too. Yep. Anything all, all you guys said it all. <laughs> That's good. Because we're awesome. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Anything else to add about Tenebrae, anybody? Just, yeah, just some great kills, really inventive, you know, shots and whatnot. You know, I love, and I think they use it on some of the official posters, the shot of the girl, and she's, like, looking through the ripped shirt. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was a good one. So, I just love how he, you know, finds the beauty and the the poetry and and death. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Good shit. And the 15 gallons of stage blood he sprayed when the (laughs) chick got her arm cut off. Oh yeah, that was (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) But awesome. Ridiculously awesome, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if uh, that scene inspired uh, Tarantino and Kill Bill when that French chick gets her arm hacked off. It's yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's kind of similar. Well, and there's a lot of uh, arterial spray kung fu movies too, stuff like uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, and that that people oh, get yeah. dismembered and there's you know fountains of blood that shoot 10 feet out from their body kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> awesome. Okay. Uh, Brian, what about you? What's a movie from 82? Well, I know that you said at the outset you kind of wanted to stay away from the, the big hitters like The Thing and stuff, but uh, as we were 
talking about this episode last time, I was sort of named the <laughs> official historian for this show because you said you kind of wanted to to bring a little bit of a, <laughs> a you know, historical angle to it to what was going on that year uh, that, yeah. that may have influenced some of the uh, the horror movies and obviously things that happened in '82 would have had to happen fairly early in the year to influence movies from 1982 because, you know, these things aren't made overnight. But on June 5th, 1981, the Centers for Disease Control published a morbidity and mortality weekly report describing a rare lung infection called, and I may butcher this name, so bear with me, pneumocystis carinii pneumonia, uh, as well as several <laughs> other unusual infections in five young and otherwise healthy gay men in Los Angeles. All evidence pointed to their immune systems having shut down despite nothing else being wrong with them. By December of 1982, the CDC reported a case of an infant who had contracted what had by then become known as the AIDS virus from a blood transfusion, and it became clear that this was not a problem confined to the gay community. And where the original Howard Hawks uh, thing from another world was very much a uh, commie, you know, us and them, you know, Cold War kind of thing, the 1982 John Carpenter version <coughs> is more about being terrified of a disease because in that movie the creature is a, essentially a virus that infects its host and yeah. it becomes extremely dangerous to have any kind of contact with someone who is infected because it could turn you uh, just a few years earlier in 1976 Ebola made its presence felt for the first time <laughs> and the threat of a pandemic or of it or one of the other hemorrhagic fevers had kind of been hanging over the world ever since so um you can see that blood test scene as a group of guys sitting around in a hospital waiting to get their HIV screenings back mm. and hoping that they're not one of the infected, that they're not a thing. Hmm. Interesting. It's interesting you bring that up. I'm kind of looking again at some of the other movies that came out in 82. Um, the Beast Within was another movie that came out that year which also dealt with a lot of like body horror type stuff. Oh yeah. And, and uh, Forbidden World too that you know. Oh yeah. yeah. Most uh and uh thanks to my buddy Scott for helping me out with some of this research and uh and some of the ideas that I'm bringing up here but um you know in most alien knockoffs the the creature is basically a giant walking venereal disease but in forbidden world they actually kill it with another disease because if if i'm remembering correctly it's been you know a year or so since i've seen that movie but one of the characters is dying of some kind of cancer and basically volunteers to feed himself to the creature to kill it <clears throat> yeah yeah interesting Interesting. Well, um, the, uh, I mentioned Creep Show earlier too. Um, am I stretching? If I uh, wonder if, like, the Stephen King segment, the lonely death of Jordy Jordy Barrow. 
Well, that you could draw comparisons to it too. Or? It could be, and I don't remember when that short story was published because that's based on one of King's short stories, and I forget which collection it's out in. It's either uh, Graveyard Shift or Skeleton Crew, okay. but I and I don't remember what year those were published. I'm guessing that probably came from the '70s. I think that was more a, a nod to H.P. Lovecraft's Color Out of Space. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, but. Uh, and of course, you know, Ronald Reagan was president. Horror movies always do better when a Republican is in office. Although at this early stage in the decade, I think there was a lot less political stuff going on because everyone is so worried about AIDS. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that, uh, you know, the whole AIDS thing happened this early. I always, in my, in my memory, it seemed like it was much later in the 80s. And it, when it, it when it uh, came out, so. like I said, it was, it was eighty one when the first cases were described, but it wasn't known as AIDS then. It, that came towards the end of eighty two before it was actually called <laughs> that, and then it uh, it, it kind of you know, snowballed from there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I remember I remember reading an essay one time about how. Independence Day was like a metaphor for AIDS. <laughs> like the devil like in an empire movie. Oh. The the Will Smith movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think a- I think to a certain degree, like you know, you can kind of project whatever you want onto certain films. They just kinda of lend themselves to that. But Oh yeah. It's I mean, I, it's still like, you know. Regardless of what the filmmakers in- intended, I think it's valid to to do that and draw parallels. So that's cool. Yeah, I've never thought about that with the thing. Interesting. So, well, I've got a couple of other uh, little bits and pieces before we uh, move on from history and the thing. Uh, one I'll actually come back to later when we talk about another movie. For one thing, the Cold War was still on. Of course, it was beginning to wind down by the early 80s. Um, the yeah. Munich Massacre uh, happened in 1972 and was kind of uh, building up to another thing. A group of Palestinian terrorists killed two members of the Israeli Olympic team and took nine more hostage. Um, it was resolved in a gunfight that killed five of the terrorists and all nine of the hostage, but that sort of marked the beginning of replacing communists with Muslims as the foreign enemy of choice in our collective uh, consciousness in the United States. It had more of an effect on action movies than horror, though. If you watch a lot of uh, Canon and Golan Globus movies from the early 80s, you know, the, the uh, Delta Force and that kind of thing, you know, the uh, so there was a little less of the the hidden enemy, the infiltration kind of thing like you had with Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, You also had, and this will uh, open things up, I think, for you guys to talk about some some slasher stuff, but of course the slasher boom had started earlier in the 80s. And uh, the other big thing in the movie industry was the invention of foam latex prostheses thin enough to be distended by air bladders. So that really Uh sparked off... A, a revolution in the special effects industry that that hadn't been there before that they could do the kinds of things like from American Werewolf and the Howling and the Thing where you had these weird pulsing uh, flesh effects that you couldn't have before and then of course yeah. Tom Savini bringing his realistic war photographer perspective 
to gore effects yeah. that they hadn't really had before. Whereas, you know, in the 60s and 70s, it was just, no, we'll throw some slaughterhouse meat on it and call it good. But yeah. uh, you mm-hmm. know, Savini's influence really turned things around. Like, oh, now if this guy's in the game, we have to make our effects look more realistic or we're going to be seen as an anachronism. Um, so, yeah, gore and weird body horror monster effects both had a huge jump start at the beginning of the decade. Well, the special makeup effects craze that, you know, the uh, the special effects artists became becoming the rock stars of these movies. Um, that's, this is kind of when it all, when it all started, you know, starting with like Savini and then like with what Rob Bottin did in the thing and, and, uh, Rick Baker did in American World of London. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, like the, these guys became the, the poster boys for like, you know, Fangoria magazine. They were the cover boys for that magazine. And like people were wanting to go see, these movies because of those guys and not so much like who directed it or who starred in it in particular, you know? So yeah, that, that, uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that was, that was the year when that's, um, effect was with the, well, it, was, the, the it, it, it wouldn't that. have been 80 because like both howling and American werewolf in London were, uh, 1980. So I mean, it came a couple of years before, oh, yeah. but okay. but okay. Yeah. by by 1982, you were really feeling the full force of that effects revolution. Absolutely. I mean, again, looking at this list here, what came out in '82? There's a lot of movies that I I can remember using those effects. What uh, Joe Bob Briggs would refer to as slime glopola movies. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I didn't. So, like, when when did uh, VHS come onto the scene? Because didn't that sort of drive a lot of the the demand for you know cheap horror movies on home video? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that would well. Isn't... I still think, um, as far as like saturating the market, that really didn't come into play until I think like probably about eighty four, eighty five, maybe. Um, when when every every house was getting a uh, VCR and every, I mean they, they were clearly around, and the video store boom was happening, but like mom pa video stores on every corner, I still think it was still maybe a year or two off mm-hmm. before that really, and so a lot more direct market films. Um, I, I don't think we're still quite happening yet. Again, I think the majority of this list here. Is all theatrical play films, even though some of them probably shouldn't have. So, um, well, I don't know. I take that back. There's um, Boarding House came out in '82. Yeah. That's a movie that's shot on video. Well, that was gonna actually was a question I was I was gonna bring up because uh, I know uh, Sledgehammer is the the movie that sort of uh, holds the title as the first shot on video movie specifically made for the video market. And I've never seen Boarding House. I know of it, but was it? Yeah. It was shot on video, not like on sixteen millimeter. Boarding House. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's clearly shot on. Video. Okay, that, then did it have a? You can hear the you can hear the room noise of the <laughs> terrible from the <laughs> shitty camera microphone. Yep. Uh-huh. So did that then have a limited theatrical run that it was not specifically made for the uh, VHS market? That's the thing too. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know why the movie was, well, I definitely don't know why the movie was made, if you've ever seen it. But uh, I don't know for what market the movie was made for, if it was for video. But I do know there there, there was a theatrical print made of at least one or two. It did have a very, very limited theatrical run. Okay. So I, I don't know if that was the original so it's, intent, so it still they doesn't happen to do both. So it still doesn't hold that distinction of being the first shot on video movie specifically made just to start. Uh, yeah, taking yeah, advantage of the new VHS market. Yeah, it 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 not yeah definitely not that. Um, so I mean even if this even if the video store boom started happening around this time, I don't think the mindset was there of like we can make movies just to be put on video. Right. Yeah, mm. so. Oh, you gotta see Burning House though. I I know it's on YouTube, or at least it was the last I was aware. It's just one that I haven't got around to yet. I think I think it still is, but if if it unless there's more than one version, it's a really bad. <laughs> well, is really bad. Is there quality? Is there going to be a good quality version? That's the question. <laughs> no, no, but it's just it's really really dark. It's darker than I remember when I first saw it on VHS. I don't. So. There, there's a great podcast called No Budget Nightmares that's just specifically oh, yeah. dedicated to that type of you know like couch change and cash in the cans to buy the special effects cheap kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, video only horror movies. And they did an episode on that. And apparently the guy who made it and his wife, who who also had a band who like a new age, you know, uh, it's like a John Tesh type of band that did the music for that are still active as a band. Oh, nice. Is that podcast still going? I've, I've, Yep. Listen to a couple episodes, but it's been forever. Yep. In fact, I just listened to the most recent episode today while I was driving around for work, as a matter of fact. So, yep, they're still going. I need to revisit that show. Yeah, it's a lot. Because I, 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 I love those movies, man. Those shitty-ass shot-on-VHS movies. Yeah, well, and the cool, like, they don't just talk about... <laughs> this is just turning into a plug for <laughs> Doug and Mo now. But, um, <laughs> you're welcome, guys. Um, they don't just talk... Like, they, they, they're talking about more recent ones too. They don't just cover stuff that was made in the eighties. So they're, they're kind of sh- oh. shining a light on. Oh yeah. That's still right. active in that scene and still making these kind of movies, which is neat. Cause yeah, I mean, who, who would know without being informed that, uh, you know, that that was still going on, that people were still picking up, you know, I guess iPhones now and, you know, shooting movies in their garage kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I keep I keep threatening to do a uh, movie shot on VHS episode. Oh, do it. <laughs> <laughs> we we can talk about Barna the Blood Llama. Oh, I've never seen that or even heard of that one. Man, uh, Cannibal Campout still probably one of my all time favorites. Is that the one that uh, perpetually reuses the opening chords to uh, Dream On? By Aerosmith, or am I thinking of a different movie? I don't know. That doesn't sound right. Okay, I must be thinking of something. I know there's some just super cheap, cheesy movie I saw one time that the entire score just consisted of the opening bars of <laughs> Dream On. God damn it! Nobody <laughs> involved in this production owns a cheap ass fifty dollar keyboard that they could just play something else on, please. <laughs> I I want to do a VHS episode just so I can make Terry watch uh, Crazy Fat <laughs> Ethel 2. 
You ever seen that one? Crazy Fat fat Ethel Part 2. You ever seen that one? No. I've heard of it, but I've never seen either one of them. (laughs) Oh, it's so bad. If you think if you think don't look in the basement's bad, Terry, you'll you'll love Crazy Fat Ethel too. Was there is there actually a a first one? A one? <laughs> yeah, um, but it was originally released under the title Criminally Insane. Hmm. Was the actual original title for it? I don't know if it actually had any distribution under the name Crazy Fat Ethel. Maybe it did. Um, the woman that made Crazy Fat Ethel. Or that the star of Crazy Fat Ethel wanted to wanted to do a sequel, so I think she produced the sequel, which was whatever she had in her pocket at the time. It, you know, that's that's how it's obviously shot in somebody's house. It's shot on VHS, no no uh, extended mic. It's all just huh. that annoying VHS hiss through the whole thing. And what is what is bad? Because I think like the original um, Crazy Fat Ethel was either shot on sixteen. Um, so half of the movie is flashbacks to the original movie. Like she has dreams and it's flashbacks to what happened in the first movie. So the contrast between the shitty shot on VHS thing versus the, what was shot on 16 is so painfully like it's, it's nauseating when it jumps back and forth between the two formats. Did you know there's a remake of crazy fat Ethel? I think I did read that somewhere, but I haven't been able to find it. I was just looking it up on IMDb, and this one says 2016, and I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's a franchise that should have kept going. Hell yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about Crazy Fat Ethel. <laughs> um, what other what other ones should we talk about? I, I'll bring one up. I don't know if anyone else has seen it, and I probably don't... I. I tried to watch tried to watch some um, ones that I haven't seen before for this episode, and one of them that I watched, I don't know if anybody else had seen, um, Death Screams. No. Mm-mm. I don't recommend it, you know, and it's it's um, and that's saying a lot coming from me, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not even it's not even that it's bad, and it's not even that it's that it, it it's definitely not so bad that it's good but, but again it's not even that it's really bad it's just generic it is the most blah generic slasher i i had seen in a long time you know it's like it takes for first of all it takes forever to get to the to the slasher part and that's like the last 10 minutes of the movie when shit hits the fan and it's got this like blatantly obvious twist that you saw coming a mile away and then it's like a dress it's only addressed for like the last 30 seconds of the movie so it's just blah um it's also under the name house of death was one of its other titles um i literally just watched it watched it like um two days ago and i'm already forgetting most of the movie that's just how just how generic this movie is and unforgettable so that's all I got to really say about it. We can move on. <laughs> Death screams. It, although, like every time there's like, um, uh, like a killer POV or uh, any time there's any kind of action in the movie or or like a jump scare or whatever, there's this overlaid um, woman screaming sound effect. Like literally every time, 
even if there's not a woman in the scene, it's just like it's the same overlaid uh, woman screaming sound effect. I think that's why they called ended up calling the movie Death Screams. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> what else? What else we want? What other ones do we want to talk about? Anybody? No. Oh, well, okay. I I, I didn't want to co-opt everything, but since there there was <laughs> dead silence there, uh, cue the winged serpent. Yes, and I was hoping to rewatch that one before uh, before this episode, and I realized I don't have a copy of it anymore, which is too bad because it was like one of one of three movies that began with the letter Q in my collection. <laughs> As I had. I don't know if maybe we had the same copy at one point, the old Anchor Bay VHS with the gold uh, clamshell case. Oh, I know. I had it on DVD. Oh, okay. Um, I never did have it on VHS. I had it on DVD, but when I, I sold it when we had our Insane Asylum okay. store. So. So I, I just took the plastic off my uh, Scream Factory Blu-ray last night to rewatch it before, because I realized it had been, like, at least a decade and a half, maybe longer since I'd seen it <laughs> and yeah I mean, it's great movie Larry Cohen's awesome um, oh yeah and Michael Moriarty uh, is you know great actor got David Carradine in it um, mm-hmm. and a super cool stop motion monster yeah Terror, it's like a pterodactyl looking yeah well you know, it's it's like it's, it's almost like be, a F- oh go ahead no go ahead I was gonna say it's supposed to be Quetzalcoatl the uh, the Aztec deity yeah, yeah. And if and that's another thing going back to my last little piece of uh research there and there throughout the 80s and starting at the you know beginning of the decade there was a a moral backlash against the excesses of 70s culture. You know, sort of the 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 moral majority, the right wing that we know them now or the right wing as we know them now were kind of coming to the fore and uh manifested itself in in our little uh, area of expertise largely through the MPAA becoming more and more restrictive on what you could show in movies and uh, Q, I haven't listened to the commentary track yet so I don't know maybe Larry addresses this directly but um, that movie could be read as being about the religious right rising up to sort of make America great again uh, as it's about a hidden subculture of religious extremists, Aztecs in this case, but, um, you know, they, they essentially pray their God back into existence and it goes on a killing spree because they, they talk throughout the movie calling the thing a bird and, you know, the, the commissioner of police doesn't want to deal with the fact that it's connected to some murder, some, uh, ritual, like sacrificial murders that have been going on in the city. But it, it, you know, Larry Cohen's always made really intelligent movies, and you know, does not spoon feed. He's, huh? he's made really intelligent movies with with Z grade storylines. Yeah, you know ex- what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. And he doesn't. He takes these B movie plots and then does something smart with it. Yeah, like he doesn't spoon feed his audience. He expects you to be able to keep up with him. And even though they don't straight up come out and say it the existence of the creature in the movie is kind of a chicken or the egg question because nobody ever says, you know, in, in your typical B movie fashion, Oh, there, you know, there was an earthquake and it opened up a fissure in the ground and this prehistoric reptile escaped. It's just suddenly there's this 
goddamn giant monster flying around New York City biting people's heads off. Mm-hmm. And it you do see it having laid eggs uh, in the movie, but you never see where it came from. And it's yeah. even though it's not explicitly stated, it's pretty clear that basically this Aztec cult who has taken up residence in New York has essentially prayed this thing back into existence. Like, it, it really is, it, it may be a monster, and it may be, you know, its physical form can be killed by machine gun fire or whatever, but it, you know, it was brought back into our physical world through their faith. It essentially sprang out fully formed as this creature because of these ritual sacrifices that were happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and the other thing that I find interesting about Larry Cohen, uh, again, he has these, like, these, like, B-movie concepts, you know, this white blob substance that can possess you, or this this winged serpent-type Aztec god that, you know, is killing people off of rooftops, or, you know, little monster demon babies, whatever the case may be. And yet they're very character driven. They're very character driven. Like you don't see much of of the monster in the movie, really. And you know you don't see like where it comes from, like you said. And um, there's just not a lot of scenes with it. You know, like unlike other monster movies from that era, uh, you get to see everything about the monster. And and you do get to see all of it, but not until very close to the end of the movie. Otherwise, it's. Something else, the sound design in that movie is incredible because you get all these um, helicopter shots like flying around the skyline of New York City. And they're accompanied by these great big long whooshing noises. Which, as you're watching the movie, you realize, holy shit, those are wing flaps. And, and they add this wonderful dimension to the movie that if it was just these helicopter shots flying around, you think, okay, it's just, you know, nice shots of New York City. But you come to realize this is monster POV cam. And you're hearing the sound of it moving through the air. It's just, oh, man, that movie's so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Brian, what's your favorite Larry Cohen movie? Um, Directed movie. I'm going yeah. to narrow it down. Sure. Um, I, I think probably Q. Really? Yeah. Okay. I've always had a thing, you know, even before I knew who Larry Cohen was, I've always had a thing for the It's Alive movies. So I'd have to say It's Alive would be my favorite. With It's Alive 3 as a close second, only because of its batshit craziness. <laughs> and another great uh, Looney Tunes performance from Michael Moriarty, too. <laughs> yes, very nice. <clears throat> All right. Um,. Yeah, I meant to ask this question at the top of the show, and I spaced it off. So I wanted to do a roundtable here of, with all these movies that came out in 82, what is your favorite one? And I have a feeling um, there's probably going to be one or two that gets said a lot. But uh, um, but yeah, we can just go around and do that real quick. Uh, Jason, what about you? Um... Sorry, I should have gave you a longer second to go through the list. Um, I jumped the gun there. 
I could probably, I'll start, I'll start. Yeah, Mike, you can, start. Everybody can look. Now, there's a lot of good ones that came out in 82 that I love for many different reasons. But, I'm going to be biased, <laughs> and I hate to do, I hate to do this, because it's, you know, it's, it's, it feels like it's a, the easy answer, but I'm going to say Creepshow. Creepshow would be my, you know, because I'm such a huge Romero fan, and, uh. So you have I, to say Creepshow. Uh, I should, right? I should, right? But there's, again, there's so many good ones, though. Do what you want. Well, that's still creep show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Jason, have you had a chance to... Yeah, it's clearly Silent Rage. <laughs> See? Now, you I'm know... I'm just kidding. I love Silent Rage. <laughs> you know? It's like Chuck Norris meets Michael Myers is what that movie is. It's so awesome. <laughs> There's a it's bad, there's a but it's awesome. fucking awesome riff tracks of that one by the way. <gasps> Is there really? Yep. Oh. I know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> no, mine's definitely the thing. Easy, easy, easy answer. With Friday three being second. Nice. And you know, and that's it. It's understandable. It's hard to top that one, really. You know, it's kind of an unfair question. It almost uh, you would almost have to say, "What's your favorite movie from '82?" If you take thing out of the equation. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, uh, Terry. What about you? Hi, um, oh, I'll say Halloween three. Nice, nice. I kind of want to get into Halloween three a little bit, but we'll finish the roundtable here first. Sam, what about you? Damn it! You fucking stole my answer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to say Creep Show too. All right. Well, let's Creep Show two. Creep Show two. That was later. <laughs> gotcha. But which, which? Because it is an, Segment. it is an anthology piece. So which specifically, which episode would you say is your favorite? Oh, nice sub question. Um, good one. Um, oh damn! Do you have one? Because I have to think about it. I. I kind of feel like maybe it's a tie between maybe Jordy Verrill and and the crate. Yeah, yeah. I hmm. it's tough. Well, if you're gonna so do a tough. tie, I'll do it. Uh, if you do a tie, I'm gonna do a tie. And by tie, you mean I'm just gonna name two instead of having to pick one. I get it. Well, okay. If I have to say my favorite one, that like if I it, you know one that I could watch more often than the others, it would be the crate. Yeah, the crate I think is the, is the best one of that whole thing. Um, it's the longest one too. It seems like. Am I off base on that? It's got a longer running time than the others. It's uh, but I, yeah. but I also really like something to tide you over a lot. Yeah. Um, it's because I remember what that what that movie what that segment did to me the first time I saw it as a kid. Yeah, I think that's probably the most dramatic one, for sure. Like nothing terrifies me more about than the thought of drowning like not being able to breathe is like the worst death concept for me um not having control over that so that when he's when he's at the end of that and he's the water's coming up on him and he's like i can hold my breath for a long time um terrifying yeah yeah you know it combines like two you know big fears the fear of being buried alive and and drowning Oh, I thought you were going to say Leslie Nielsen in a row. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I would argue <laughs> that Leslie Nielsen without the robe is scarier. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. And I, I think that might also have like the best the best music from John Harrison in the movie. Oh just, god, yeah. Just that sort of I don't know how you describe it, but it's sort of sad sad music. I can't I can't imitate it. Do it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, well, so good. Who else wants to chime in with their favorite segment from Creepshow? Yeah, I would have to mirror Sam's estimation that it's a tie between the crate and Jordy Verrill, just because they're, the, they're, they're the monster segments. <laughs> I no, yeah. should have known. <laughs> Jason, what about you? Was the raft in two? or the raft is two. Yeah, yeah. Is oh. two. Then I picked the raft. That is awesome. <laughs> The Raft is the best of part two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the oh, short sure. story is fantastic, too. If you haven't read the Stephen oh, King story okay. that it's uh, based from, it's, yeah, it's really good. Take your word for that one, buddy. <laughs> I thought we established earlier that I don't read unless it's got pictures. Yeah, but I was, it was Jason's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, oh. Does Jason read? No. <laughs> no. Although, when I was in high school... I fall asleep. Although, when I was in high school, we used to quote... Thanks for the ride, lady. All the time. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> we, we just walk up and down the halls of high school. Thanks for the ride, lady. He <laughs> really did. Terry, what about you? Favorite from Creepshow? Uh, I guess I'll have. To, I'm gonna have to go with the crate too. I think. So good. Should have picked the raft. It's better. <laughs> I do like the raft. Yeah. Oh. Just, I'm not enough just... of a rebel to pick one from the second movie. Wow, that's just the way I roll. Are you just, just trying to stir the any rules tonight? <laughs> Jesus. Because you know part two is not directed by George, so inherently I take offense. If to you'd have heard picking. the bonus episode, I didn't follow either of them rules either. That's true. <laughs> I just You pick Manimal. There's, there's no horror in Manimal. I was oh, going to let it go. It was but, horrific. <laughs> uh, in a different fashion, I get it. <clears throat> All right, so everybody said what their favorites are. Yep. Cool. Okay, so let's let's I go back. Yeah, you did. Oh crap! I'm so right, sorry. Ah, yeah. oh, was there a Godzilla movie that came out in '82? <laughs> nope. There, there was a hiatus between 1975 and 1985. Sorry. See. <laughs> <laughs> he knows the years. Oh, yeah. Okay, what's your favorite from '82? No, my mine's another. You know, it's. Not only my favorite from '82, but one of my favorite movies ever. Period. The thing. Whoa. It's fucking. Oh, yeah. That that nice. movie is a masterpiece. There. That yeah. that is one of the very few movies that I consider to be shot perfect. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, you could change about that movie to make it any better. I I agree. I think Jason, you remember our movie reviews from the Asylum episode. Which you can find on YouTube. <laughs> um, when we had that show, uh, we did we did an episode on the thing, and I think we were in the same boat. We couldn't think of a negative to say about the movie, other than there was no chicks in it. I mean, if if once you get over the fact that Kurt Russell's in it, oh jeez, and that's it. <laughs> that's the only other thing. You don't like Kurt Russell? Oh my uh, god. Sorry. Uh, let's, oh, he heard all that. Yeah, I, uh, but I, but his Come beard on. saves it. All of them so fighting so words. <laughs> oh, Dude, we have fought tirelessly. 
Everybody has fought with Jason tirelessly about what, what was the movie you hated so Breakdown. much? Yeah. Breakdown's fault. Boycotted, Boycotted him, him. I've never seen that. I'm telling Don't you, there's it. a worse performance by Kurt Russell, and that's the remake of Poseidon Adventure. It was just called Poseidon. I like that movie. <laughs> there's a line in there that I wish I could remember it. Well, I'm going to have to watch the movie just so I can write down that line dialogue so I can quote it till the end of time. But he didn't write it. I know, but his delivery doesn't help it either. <laughs> he's like, you know, somebody's like, what is that thing? And he's like, it's a converter. It converts things. That is not the exact line. <laughs> well, that's not his fault. That's, I know. That's still over. Right. It's bad. Oh, but anyway. The thing, you've got uh, Death Proof. you got Big Buff, <laughs> Little China. Yeah, he... I I, only I finally seen... got him to watch Big Trouble. What like just... two years ago? A year ago? Yeah, not I think long. It was just last year. Yeah, for the first time ever. And that I don't. You got to listen to some of his and Carpenter's commentaries. Everyone says the thing is their favorite of the commentaries. I actually like the Big Trouble in Little China one the best. Oh, I do too. It's just, just two guys hanging out. Chat. Like you can, yeah. you can hear the beer cans going. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool because you get like this totally laid back having a good time john carpenter which you don't hear too often yeah yeah that is a great commentary but if we're talking commentaries john carpenter hands down my favorite john carpenter commentary is um is uh shit i just blanked on the name of the movie shit <laughs> um vampires no <laughs> Oh, Am I the only one here who loves that movie? I plan on rewatch. I bought it yeah, at a pawn shop not too long ago. What's that? He kind of made me want to rewatch it too. Since yeah, you're too. like the first person who stood up for it in years. So I'm like, oh, maybe I should watch it. When we do our vampire part two episode. I'll go off on John Carpenter's vampires and why it's better than the book. But anyway. <laughs> why am I totally Escape from New York? One of his later ones. The Ward. <laughs> the third, not that late. Um, um, uh, Mouth of Madness. Thank you. Fuck. Anyway, that's my favorite commentary track. I haven't heard that. Short one. story long. Um, <laughs> it's great because he does it with his director of photography, and he just talks about lighting. He just questions his director of photography through the whole thing. So if you want to learn how to light a movie, um, listen to that commentary. So that, it's, it's really instructive. I really love so it. So you just told me that's a commentary I shouldn't listen to because I hate the technical ones. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind. I, I, yeah, just like the, I just like the ones where it's you know the cast and crew bullshitting and telling stories. Those are my favorite ones. Okay. <laughs> well, as a filmmaker, I appreciate it. Well, yeah, yeah I, I totally understand why that would be your favorite because that makes sense. <laughs> you, you would actually have something to gain from it. <laughs> exactly. I still don't know how to light a movie, so That's maybe true. maybe it's not That's that true. Good. He doesn't listen. He just. <laughs> so yes, the thing's yes. perfect. I remember a, a friend of our family, a friend of my mom specifically, who I credit a great deal with me being the way I am because she showed me Doctor Who when I was like five years old, and oh, really? uh, Night of the Living Dead when I was like seven. <laughs> um, nice. Like oh. she was, she loves and has always loved horror movies, and I remember specifically it was my 12th birthday shortly before my 12th birthday I should say I don't know even how it came up in the conversation but she started talking about the thing and I said I'd never seen it and her reaction was like I'd skinned a kitten in front of her (laughs) 
And so guess what I got for my 12th birthday? (laughs) And that blew my mind. It was one of those experiences where like, I didn't know movies could be like this. And so it's, you know, it's been with me ever since. I absolutely love that movie. I've been trying to think of my first watch. I can't. Of the thing? Yeah. Can't do it. I don't know where it's at in my brain. (laughs) But 12th birthday present, that's fucking amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I could have watched that shit early like that. Thanks, Sandy. You're awesome. And that, Go, Sandy. You know, I said earlier that you know I was sheltered. Yeah. Started. What are you getting a thing at twelve for? Well, it's because it's a friend of my mom's, and mom didn't question her judgment. Ah. <laughs> and you didn't tell your mom that you should probably not be watching that. God damn right, I didn't. <laughs> Thank goodness. Cool. So. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I'd like to get into it a little bit. I know we've talked about it on the show before, a but a lot. <laughs> but I, I also caught Jason rewatching that one, so oh, I thought we should. Oh, I didn't get to rewatch it. Yeah, I just, I've been, it was one of the. I don't own a. Okay, I'm sorry about this sentence, but I don't own a Scream Factory Blu ray yet. Yet. He's and, been- and, uh,. Well, you got it's some, a slippery you got some slope. Great, you've got some great stuff in your collection oh, that we can let it pass. I have a great collection, mind you, but mm, it's some. a slip. Hey, you want, whatever. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, I'm just I'm feared to start. You know. Yeah, then I mean, you'll I'm, never oh, stop. I mean, I yeah. yeah, slippery slope. But yeah. it's it's always on the top one, two, threes probably that I would get and but I just gave in and I watched your copy mm-hmm. of the new release just because I was excited for the transfer and, and I haven't seen it in a long time I haven't really seen it since I hated it which was <laughs> since I first watched it you know when it come out when it was Halloween 3 and it yeah. wasn't Michael Myers. right See, and that's the thing, like, I don't know, maybe for the next bonus we should do this, but I kind of feel like we, you know, we just did a bonus episode for those out there listening who don't know what I'm talking about. You can donate to Patreon and get extra <laughs> content, including bonus episodes of Attack of the Killer podcast. Um, anyway, um, we just did a bonus episode about movies that don't stand up. I, th- I, I think we should do a follow-up of movies that we didn't like then, but we love now. Uh-huh. Halloween 3, I think, is definitely one of those. Definitely. For probably most horror fans, to be honest. Most. Yeah. I'm sure just the shock factor of it being so starkly different from the first two movies. I mean, yeah. that had to... <laughs> I'm sure... Yeah, just try to imagine. Yeah. 1982, having already had two... A sequel to yeah. a very particular franchise, and I don't know of anyone who's really 180'd it like that before. And just imagine to all our surprises. Yeah. Now it may have worked if they would have done it with part two and not and not yeah, wait till three. Maybe. Yeah. But then again, we would we would only right. have one Michael Myers ever if that was the case. Yeah, um, but, uh, I think that franchise, like, not that all the movies aren't great, but it would have been really cool to do, like, have the Halloween franchise and then just each movie be, like, a different thing that happens on Halloween. See, and that was the plan when they did part three. Right. That was what they wanted the whole franchise to go. Yeah, that would be um, amazing. And it makes yeah. sense now, but, like, back then, I don't know if you guys know this, but there wasn't really the internet. So it's like we didn't right. know it was coming. <laughs> 
Yeah. Right. It was just like, what? What is this? Fuck. <laughs> well, and I can remember the trailers, and I, I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I, I, maybe my childhood brain, um, right, builds those trailers up back then because. I mean, I was I was not a horror movie fan since from day one. I was no. terrified of horror movies when I was a kid, and when trailers, yeah. when commercials would come up on TV, I would like run from the room until it was over. <laughs> um, and Halloween three was one of those that like I can I can vividly remember seeing that trailer, that commercial, and just the the image of the silhouette of the three kids wearing the masks walking. Those look like those were the monsters of the movie. So I wonder if, yeah. if maybe the advertising of it too was misleading. Not only did you not get Michael Myers, but you don't really get any, you know, killer or creature or monster in that movie. It's just an evil plot. That just from kill kind of kids. robot guys, sort of. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, hell yeah. I just. <laughs> I just, I just loved how smooth Tom Atkins was. What a, what a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a man. Where do you want to sleep tonight? Oh fuck. Over. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done deal. He's a back daddy. I think fuck. it's the stash. Oh man. But he's also, he's a doctor. Okay. Who, who decides? Love. <laughs> I'm so excited to meet him in a couple weeks. Uh, I'm so excited. Oh. I might have to get his autograph. I'm so excited. That's awesome. I'm I'm really excited for. It. I'm not, even more excited for him. You get to meet Chainsaw and Dave. Oh but, yeah, that's that's a whole other story. That is a whole other story. Anyway, um, uh, I totally blanked. You got me thinking about conventions. Um, oh, so he's this doctor in the movie, right? Like. I still don't understand like why they made him a doctor in this movie because then he just decides he's going to go on this adventure to try to solve this kind of like a detective. So why didn't just make him a detective? Why not just make him a cop? And I imagine him as a detective the whole time anyway. Exactly, and he has those detective tropes because he's also a raging alcoholic, right? Yeah, so he's got and some mustache. He's always got to have a beer in his hand, you know. He's he goes to the bar in the middle of the day. He leaves work and yeah, goes to the no, bar. Yeah, no, there were literally bit. times when I forgot he was a doctor. Yeah. And I assumed he was a police guy. Well, yeah, once he leaves the hospital, <laughs> it's like not referenced ever again that he's a doctor. Not really. Only when he calls her, but but you, he's doing it like a detective, so it's, well. But yeah. it's cool. So, I mean, the movie's not without its its flaws, but those flaws are just as endearing as what makes the movie awesome, too, I think. Yeah, whatever those are. The flaws? Or what? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the endearings, whatever. Okay. Whichever parts are endearing? Um, what else? What about, what else about Halloween 3? That transfer was beautiful, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's disappointing that they didn't ever use the song Season of the Witch. Just because I love that song. But they were too busy playing that fucking other song. Every five minutes. It was, didn't Alan Howarth do Halloween 3? Was he the... I think so. I think yeah. so. 
not that it's, it's bad. Score. Like, yeah, no, it's. I just. Well, I'm just being art, silly. Yeah, the score. Yeah, the score itself is amazing. Yeah. But yes, the 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 commercial jingle the is a little. The silver shamrock. Yeah, it is a little much. <laughs> Every fall, that is my ringtone. Aww. And, oh, that's awesome. And <laughs> n- not only because it amuses me, but because <laughs> the ethanol plant I used to work at, one of my uh, coworkers there, who's still a good friend of mine, hated that song. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did it partially for my benefit and partially for oh. his. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. Awesome. And I also want to know what what one place can you call to get a, to get a commercial removed from every television network? Right. Right. <laughs> Who is on the other end of that phone? Well, well, all but one apparently you can get them removed from. Don't you guys know that once you become an MD, you are given the direct line to the president of the FCC just in case. Just in case. <laughs> And the FCC, the president of the FCC, just happens to have a magical button that can instantly turn off a commercial on every network except for one. Well, of course. Well, otherwise, what fucking good is he? <laughs> and I'm assuming that last one was PBS. I don't know. You hope so. <laughs> All right. All joking aside, the movie's awesome. Anyway, um, yeah. What other movies do we want to bring up, or should we just kind of go? Th- just kind of uh, do all the honorable mentions, kind of go through the list here. Oh, I thought of one. I'm sorry. I thought of one more I, I want to just kind of touch base on a little bit. I'm just curious if Brian's ever seen it because I don't have any faith that anybody else has seen it before. Whoa. But all right. Jesus. I'm sorry. I don't know whether to be off. flattered or offended, so I guess we'll find out when you tell me what the movie is. You'll, you'll, you'll be offended. Have you ever seen the movie Phenomenon? Like the Argento movie? No, wait, no, wait, no, wait. Not Phenomenon. Sorry. We were talking about that earlier, and I. That's on my brain now. I meant pandemonium. Pandemonium. You know, the title yeah, sounds the familiar, but I don't think I have. <laughs> Unless it's been out under an alternate title. Or tell me, you know, refresh Pandemonium. Me. Okay, I go through phases in my um, fandom uh, where I kind of I kind of uh, latch on to a lesser-known director and then want to discover his entire body of work. And there for the longest time, I was really obsessed with Alfred Soule. The director of Alice, Sweet Alice, and uh, obsessed with his body of work because he's got one of the saddest and weirdest um, body of work of probably any genre filmmaker. He did Alice. He did, he did a couple films before Alice, Sweet Alice. I've never been able to find. I think one of them may even be like either porn or softcore. Um, but then he, uh, after Alice, Sweet Alice, he did this movie called Pandemonium which is a satire, scary movie-esque style of parody horror film. And the cast is insane. It's got Tommy Smothers, <laughs> Paul Rubens, before he was Pee Wee Herman. Um, it's got, um, I can't remember the actor's name, the actor that played Jimmy Olsen in the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movies. It's got... Um, um, Carol Kane in it. It's got the guy who played Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. Um, I'm, who am I forgetting? Oh, and uh, I have to think about his name because I say it wrong every time. Judge Reinhold. So it's got this like 
weird cast and and it's and it's a it's a straight up satire comedy with a lot of really bad jokes in it and it's it's horrible but i love it and nobody nobody i've ever met has ever seen this movie but me but i can even remember seeing this movie for the first time on um on on like us on the usa network like on Commander USA's Groovy Movies or USA Up All Night, so. Mm. Nope, I have not I just, seen this one. Okay, I just always want to meet one other person who's ever seen this movie, just so I can be validated <laughs> if if it's actually some way entertaining or if I'm just completely insane that this movie is a piece of shit. No, but now that you've stumped me, it's, you've turned it into a competition. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you can watch it in segments on YouTube because I about a year or so ago I had to see it again, and so I, and I've only been able to find it in chunks on YouTube. I don't think it's ever had any release other than a very limited run on VHS. It was it was you know and again I said a tra- Albert uh, Alfred Soul's tragic career like all of his movies other than Alice Sweet Alice were major disasters, um, and and Alice Sweet Alice I think. Um, was was only successful is because it landed in the world of public domain. So like they even lost the rights to to that movie. So technically speaking, even it's kind of a disaster. That's the one but, with Brooke Shields, right? Like when she yeah. was really young. Yeah, I, that one I've yeah. seen. Yeah, um, which is a great movie. It's so sleazy, but it's so it's it's really good, really good. So uh, and then there was Tanya's Island, which was like the first movie starring Vanity. <laughs> I that is one on my must-have list. I, <laughs> so you've seen that I, one? I, oh no, it's I haven't seen that one. Oh, it, it's one on my th- you know list of things I must acquire and see eventually. Because it's even got yeah, giant oh, yeah, monsters but, is one of my things, and sleaze is the other. If you haven't figured that out yet, <laughs> it's a movie about this woman who gets trapped on this this um, deserted island, and there's it's not like a, it's not really gorilla. But it's gorilla like. It's Rick it's Baker. Not, it's Rick Baker. Yeah, it's a Rick Baker effect. But you don't know, and there's no explanation of what this creature actually is. But it's not a. It's not a gorilla, especially knowing that Rick Baker can do gorillas. Like I can understand if this is an effects artist that tried to do a gorilla and utterly failed, and it came off as some kind of mutated gorilla. Apparently, Vanity but can no, do it's... gorillas too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the whole movie is kind of about this. Um, unhealthy relationship between man or between woman and beast shall we say so yeah it's awesome <laughs> but but yeah but phenomena is probably my favorite uh, I, I did it again pandemonium is probably my favorite out of alfred soul's very limited filmography um but it's about this about these uh, group of kids you know all played by blatantly obvious 20 30 something year olds um, who uh, go to like this cheerleading camp, much like cheerleader camp, only uh, only way funnier. And Tommy Smothers um, plays the sheriff who dresses like a Canadian Mountie and literally is on horseback through every scene in his movie, even when he's in indoors. And Paul Rubens plays his like deputy who's jealous of the horse through the whole movie. So... If you can find it, check it out. It's it's a it's a trip. I will keep my eye open. Yeah. 
All right, so I just wanted to bring that one up real quick. So, uh, should we just go through the list now and do all the honorable mentions? I'll I'll bring up one more actually, just because. Oh great! Okay. Just because I watched it earlier today, for the first time, a little ditty called Pieces. You seen this nice. flick? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's kind of like kind of like a poor man's Argento. <laughs> kind of like a, a Spanish giallo set in Boston. It's interesting. Well, tell us more. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> like this, uh, you know, it's, you know, like a typical giallo. So there's this sort of unknown killer. You're not exactly sure who it is. Although you see him at the beginning, he's like a child, but then it's like 40 years later. Oh. And he's, you know, he's got the typical thing, you know, he wears like a mask and black leather gloves. And, uh, and it's. The biggest fucking chainsaw in movie history. <laughs> bigger than Leatherface? It is a big chainsaw. It might not be yeah. bigger than the one from the trailer for three, but it's up there. <laughs> Jesus. Is that a real chainsaw, by the way? Did they actually make chainsaws that big? Yeah, they make big goddamn chainsaws. <laughs> wow. it, All right, I'm in. Chainsaws, go ahead. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, like, I remember there's like one piece coming off the chainsaw. It must be like some exhaust pipe or something, but it looks like a fucking, <laughs> looks like a fucking phonograph horn or something. It's pretty goofy. Anyway, yeah, it's... uh. The movie's got it's got a lot of exposition. It kind of drags in places, and uh, it's got like terrible red herrings. Like, what, <laughs> like one of the characters that's kind of a red herring is like this big fat, like gardener guy, and it's just so obvious that it's not he's not the killer. But <laughs> they try. They to like play it up the whole movie, like. Oh, yeah, it could be him. <laughs> but he's like, <laughs> like that, he's, uh, yeah. That, he's I just, forget the actor's name, but there's an interview with him on the uh, on the uh, Grindhouse releasing Blu-ray that came out not too long ago. And apparently, he's like the biggest sweetheart in the world, and was really, really uncomfortable doing a movie that exploitative. <laughs> it's like, no, we need oh, yeah. a giant beardy hulking guy, <laughs> and you're perfect. <laughs> It's just funny because, like, he's not even like the right ethnicity, really, for, like, <laughs> let alone the right size. But, but no, the movie does have like, again, really good kills, and it is. That's kind of why I say it's kind of like a poor man's Argento because the kills are just very, again, very glamorous. You know, shot in slow motion, a lot of them, and. uh I think the decap there's like a decapitation at the beginning too. That's like especially good. Just the way I d I'm not even sure exactly how they did it because I'm assuming they just like buried the girl, like buried her head underground. But the angle of it is like very extreme. So I'm wondering if that's what they did. I don't know. Check it out though. Lots yeah. of lots of boobs and oh, even some dong if you're into that. <laughs> oh, yeah, 
that flick is <laughs> extremely gory and gross. Yeah. Um, made by the director of Slugs. Uh, oh, really? Based, based on a trashy paperback horror novel by uh, trashy paperback horror novel legend Sean Hudson, and also uh, Pod People, <laughs> which was a Mystery Science Theater episode. Um, he there's a he re- directed Pod People? Yeah. There's a fantastic uh, three-disc limited release uh, Blu-ray put out by Grindhouse releasing earlier this year. The first, I forget how many, you know, 1,000, 2,000, whatever copies came with a uh, replica of the puzzle that sets the whole thing off at the beginning. Oh. Which I've actually got that sitting on my shelf. It's pretty spiffy. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, if, if you want to hear somebody scream the word bastard over and over again, <laughs> this is the movie for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Oh, and also extremely gratuitous Wendy's product placement, like the fast food restaurant. Oh. Like the cops that you see them eating and drinking out of Wendy's cups like all the time. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> I think, I'm assuming, according to IMBD, it says it was shot in Spain. So I'm guessing it's all probably all Spanish cast and crew, right? So uh, I'm wondering least, if they just... At least primarily, yeah. I, I yeah, I'm wondering if they just... Maybe better. they just put that in there to, like, really sell the idea that this is America. Yeah, that, so, that could be. Or maybe they, maybe they just got paid from Wendy's. That could be. And that's the thing you see in a lot of, like... Yeah. But did they do that back then? Huh? Like, did they... Because weren't the weren't the laws different back then? Do they need to like pay to have products in there like they do now? I, I think it was the the reverse. I think companies paid them to put their products in the movie because you see that a lot in seventies and eighties, and I think even going back into the sixties a little bit, um, exploitation movies, lots of product placement. I've noticed tons of Coca Cola product placement and lots of weird mm-hmm. movies, including of all things, the Beast that Killed Women. Uh, which has absolutely nothing to do with 1982, but it's like a nudist camp movie with you know a gorilla on the loose killing nudists, and <laughs> they continuously walk back and forth between uh, across a, a Coca-Cola vending machine, like hmm. very prominently <laughs> displayed in the middle of the scene. So I think just you know back in the day it was just That's a, where you get some money you know, right by, by advertising in a movie that six people saw. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, I, yeah, I think that was a really just a a big thing, you know, a way for productions to get money, and on the other hand, a way for companies to advertise their product to just another demographic. I mean, I really don't think Wendy's or Coca Cola particularly care who is buying their product and what disgusting movies <laughs> they're watching, as, as long as they're shelling out the cash for those uh, those burgers and sodas. So, yeah. <laughs> They need all the help they can get. Yeah, but no, I, I I enjoy pieces, even if it is kind of retarded at times. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I love, like you mentioned, the uh, there's that one scene where the girl, she just yells bastard over and over. <laughs> so over the top. That bastard was in there killing her. Bastard! 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 Yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a very fun movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. That sounds awesome. I haven't seen it though. It's kind of a yeah. It, it's it's 
more of a mystery than most slashers, but it's way gorier and more just sleazy than most giallo movies. So it's kind of like a happy medium between the two genres. Yeah. If you want a little bit of a mystery, but you also want some disgusting gore, that's the one. Oh, right. Yeah. And then, like, the other, like, big weird thing is, like, well, maybe I shouldn't talk about it because I'll give away the ending, but... (laughs) (laughs) That movie's too stupid to really work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But no, like the the guy who turns out to be the villain, it's it's he's like the dean of the college. Okay, I'll just give it away. But he's like fucking British, like you know, in the present day. But like he's supposed to be American, right? Because like you see him at the beginning, he's this American kid. But then in the present day, he's got like a British accent. I don't know. I just thought that was retarded. Like, was that all just fake, or were they that stupid that they had like an English guy doing the voice of the character? I don't yeah. know. I think it was just a case of uh, good enough. Let's go with it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just all kind of goofy, but you know, all in good fun. All right. So, how about extra? Has anyone seen that movie? No. Uh-uh. That's uh, another one of my favorites. And again, just sleazy and disgusting. Um, it's about a guy who is out playing with his son one night and is abducted by aliens. And comes back years later. And you know, a- after having been completely absent, the mom having raised this kid by herself, he comes back and starts essentially trying to infiltrate himself back into the family, even though the mom can tell that he's, you know, there's something wrong. It's not him anymore. But the kid's just stoked to see his dad again. So they start spending a bunch of time together, and of course, the guy is, we have been privy to how he came back to Earth I guess, so to speak, um, in that this weird creature uh, was sent down somehow from outer space, and it's the the way it's the way the monster is is portrayed in this movie is really cool. And that they have a guy doing sort of a reverse crab walk, you know, where he's you know his his back is to the ground, his chest to the air, he's walking on his hands, you know, and backwards with the the creature's face as a mask on the back of his head giving his legs the appearance that they're bent you know it's sort of an insectile thing so his legs are bent the way a grasshopper's legs go and uh this woman gets attacked by this thing which shoves a tube down her throat and impregnates her and then you know a couple of nights later she gives birth to a fully grown human male in a scene that is every bit as gross as you would imagine that would turn out. (laughs) Uh, Doesn't work out real good for the lady. Anyway, um, so uh, he's sort of assimilating his son to come back to space with him as, you know, whatever type of alien creature he has become. In the meantime, his son is given these psychic powers to be able to, to bring his toys to life. So, like, his toy clown becomes this midget dressed up as a clown 
and <laughs> with a weapon that's kind of reminiscent of the flying guillotine from the Master of the Flying Guillotine movies, if you're familiar with Kung Fu flicks. Okay. Yeah. It's very appropriate that when I said that and then there was silence, I could hear crickets over somebody's microphone. <laughs> I've, I've heard of the movie. I just haven't seen that one yet. I've been oh, meaning to. So good. But, uh, yeah, so you know, all sorts of people die in horribly uh, pseudo-sexual ways. There's lots of slime and, and bodily violation and, you know... Uh, Surprisingly, you know, British-made movie, which typically you think of uh, British movies, especially from that time period during the Margaret Thatcher reign, is is sort of austere. But turns out the independence over there could be just as gross as the ones over here and in Italy and Spain, continental Europe in general. <laughs> so yeah, check out Extra. It's great. The sequels suck, but the original is... Um, Mike loves it. A minor classic I, of disgusting sleaze. I, I do good. love the original Extra. Definitely check it out. It's a movie on the surface when you when you first hear about it. It's like, this should not be good, but it's actually really good. Um, you Have you seen the, like, what was it, like a few years back? There was a, there was a screenshot from Extra of where you could see the monster along the roadside scurrying across the road or whatever. And it was a meme people were using and, like, put it in black and white and made it look like somebody had actually captured a shot of a mon- a real-life alien <laughs> like, or something. Look, I photographed the chupacabra. No, yeah. I, I had not seen that, but that seems like something. Because that's what I was talking I don't know if you were uh, back before I was talking about that, but how cool an effect and how simple and easy it, and obvious it seems but nobody had ever done it before the way they portrayed that monster by having the stuntman walking, doing like that reverse crab walk thing with the mask of the monster's face on the back of his head. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The design of that monster is, is awesome. It's brilliant. It's the whole look of him. Yeah. And I thought that was funny because I, I, you know, before, before it got out, I remember seeing the first few pictures of it where somebody was trying to claim it was real I instantly was like, that's extra. <laughs> awesome movie. Very cool. Very cool. I had not seen the sequels, though. There's like two of them, right? It's yeah. part two and part three. Extra two is uh, is basically an alien knockoff with uh, Jan DeBont, or not Jan, uh, Jan Michael Vincent. <laughs> Jan DeBont's the director. With uh, <laughs> Jan Michael Vincent as, you know, they, they send some guys into a another dimension because it's science and that's what you do. Um, and they come back with this creature that is, you know, I, I have to assume that that movie was made as something else completely. And then somebody, for some reason, decided that, yeah, it's only been 10 years since Extro came out. We'll sell this as an Extro sequel and more people will buy it. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not very good. And then the third mm-hmm. one is, is even worse. So, yeah, diminishing returns at a very steep slope in that franchise. <laughs> but uh, ignore the sequels and just watch Extro because it's really, really cool. Excellent. Cool. Okay, so we should probably start wrapping things up a little bit. Um, just go through the some, the list to go through the, some of the honorable mentions. Um, 
wasn't on your list, Swamp Thing. Speaking of beast, woman love. <laughs> yeah, true. That's 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 woman on plant right there, buddy. That's yeah. going way. That's Another going way level. deeper. Wait, oh. that was. Uh-huh. <laughs> Adrian Barbeau's but, cleavage. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that yeah. movie legitimately frightened me as a kid because that was one that you know didn't set off any alarms since it was uh, was a PG or PG thirteen. No, it would have been before the PG thirteen rating was created. Yeah, it'd have been only so it would have PG, been PG. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, Arcane turns mm-hmm. into that creepy ass pangolin thing. What? It's not exactly a werewolf. It's not like, exactly an armadillo, it's but like it's a, got scales. So I. Th- it's a boar. It, well, yeah, it's got scales, but the head's like a boar. Yeah, that and the little midget guy. Those things just creep me the hell out. But yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, I do too. Um... Oh, you want to talk about movies that don't stand up from childhood? I saw that in the theater, and then watching it now, like at the time when I saw it in the theater, I was yeah. terrified when the when the big when the big guy morphed into the little the little midget troll looking guy, and when Doctor Arcane turns into the boar beast monster, I thought those were the coolest effects and super scary, and I was terrified of it. Watching it now, those effects are horrible, <laughs> like that that boar head. First of all, there's no articulation whatsoever. It's like he's just wearing he's like something off of his trophy wall on his head. Uh, they deserve an Academy Award next to the Jim Wynorski-directed sequel. And yet, that <laughs> is the one that spawned the cartoon show and all of the toy line. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> isn't that weird? That's the one that like spawned this whole new thing for... And not only that, but that um, short-lived but awesome uh, USA yeah. uh, live-action TV show. Yep, that was yeah, too. Yeah, it's so weird that Jim Wynorski is responsible for like a whole franchise of Swamp Thing outside of the comics. It just boggles my <laughs> mind, you know. It's so weird, but I don't know. I liked Return to Swamp Thing. I mean, tonally, it's way different, but I I thought the I thought the makeup took a step up. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. And interesting enough, between the TV show and the and both movies, it's the same actor playing Swamp Thing in all of it. So I forget his name right now. Dick Durock. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Sam knows his dick. <laughs> oh, hold on, buddy. Whoa. Whoa. That sounds <laughs> like it should be a character name, not a not the actor's name. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is a very comic book name, isn't it? <laughs> oh, let's see. What else came out in '82? Poltergeist. That you know, that uh, seminal film. Uh, we didn't, you know, Friday Thirteen Part Three. We didn't really get into that. Uh, we talked. We mentioned Forbidden World, Tenebrae, of course. Um, Amityville Two: The Possession. Now I always get my Amityville movies mixed up. But I don't know if I've seen part two. Part two is the Italian sleaze fest one with all the disgusting uh, implied incest, rape, and the super sweaty, abusive weirdo dad. (laughs) So, of course, it's the only Amityville movie that I actually like. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Let's see, there's Cat People, which I really like Cat People. Yeah, that that is a great movie. Um, super cool David Bowie theme song. And that mm. that could kind of also be tied back into the uh, the theme of uh, 
fear of sexually transmitted diseases because that movie yeah, is yeah. very, very sexual. Even though there's not a lot of really like there's not you know graphic sex in it or anything, the whole you know Natasha Natasha Henstridge's character uh, as the the last surviving member of this cat people race, you know, trying to pass on her her genetic legacy, uh, however you want to put that, you know. It it's definitely has overtones of uh of uh, the consequences of the sexual revolution, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Jason, you'll be interested to know, um, no? Lynn Lowry is in Cat People. She plays a prostitute. Yay, Lynn Lowry. And the and the uh, screenwriter for um, Cat People was one of my favorites, Alan Ornsby. Didn't gonna meet Lynn in a couple weeks. Didn't Paul Schrader direct that one? I forget who directed it. Yes, it was Paul Schrader. Nice. I've been meaning to see it. I I love the original. I don't know how it compares, but the original is really good. It's really good. I don't. I don't know if I've ever seen the original. Honestly, I know I've seen. I I saw it long ago on TV. I don't. I haven't seen it since in many many years. But, um, is there a? Aren't there characters in the remake named Val and Luton as as a homage uh, uh, to the original? Uh, uh, uh. Probably. I don't know. I haven't haven't seen the. I haven't seen it in so long, but. No. That'd be awesome if there was, yeah. Uh, let's see, what else we got? Oh, good old Slumber Party Massacre. We talked about that a little bit. Last Horror Movie. I love that movie. Last Horror Film. Or Last Horror Film, sorry. Last Horror Film is... Uh, Joe Spinell. Yep, good old Joe Spinell. Also playing another crazy psycho guy. Go this time, obsessed with um, making his horror movie... And he um, stalks, again, just like in Maniac, Carolyn Monroe. Remind me, I haven't seen that one in a really long time. It feels like that movie was was made just because everybody went to Cannes Film Festival. Because a lot of the movie takes place around that, and it just has this kind of guerrilla feel about it. Like, they just decided, hey, we have camera, we have a bunch of film, we're in Cannes, perfect you know, perfect location to shoot a movie. <coughs> Let's make a movie. Um, the New York Ripper, Lucio Fulci, with the Donald Duck voiced <laughs> um, killer. Yeah. How's that? What's it sound like? He literally sounds like Donald Duck. Oh. He goes, I don't know if I could do Donald Duck. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I had to think about how to do Donald Duck here for a second. <laughs> Yeah, Michael Winslow. I know. I lose my title. Uh, Blood Tide, which I'd never seen. Don't go to sleep. Haven't Boy, seen Blood Tide, the uh, the Shaw Brothers movie about the killer sandworm things. No, I think oh. it's a slasher. This is by Richard Jeffries, an ancient monster is roused from its grotto oh. by Shakespeare quoting treasure. Hunter. Yes, that's the one with James Earl Jones. That's the that's a. Uh, Shot in Greece, I want to say it's a Gilman movie. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. I was thinking of Blood Beach. Really? I was thinking of Blood Beach. Never mind. Yeah, Blood Tide is is really cool. 
Oh, Blood Beach is, yeah, Blood Beach is the Tremors-esque one where they get sucked down in the yeah, sand. Yeah. yeah, No, ch- definitely check out Blood Tie. It's, it's available in a lot of those Mill Creek, uh, super cheap public domain box sets. So you probably even have it. You don't know it. Yeah, right, yeah probably. Yeah, probably. probably have three <laughs> different fucking copies of it. But yeah, it's it's got uh, you know early James Earl Jones uh, appearance, um, pre Conan, I believe, like right before Conan yeah. made him a huge star. Um, a, a fairly neat looking Gil Man. You know, it's it's a little slow because it's you know it's an independent, super low budget thing. They didn't have a lot of money for effects and stuff. But when you do get to see the monster, it's pretty cool. Man, I'm bummed. I wish I would have watched that instead of fucking. Um death screams because i pulled that up on youtube and it looked like an even more uninspired slasher than death scream so i watched death scream instead damn it as i remember it takes you know it's been a while since i've seen it but if i recall correctly, it takes forever to get to the gill man so it does kind of set it up for for a good chunk of the movie to make you think that it is slasher that it's it's just a human menace and then you realize as the movie goes on, wait, there's actually something in the water that's taking these people down, and yeah, that turns oh, out to be there's a monster. So, okay, let's see, Beast Within, which is I love that movie; it's great. Manhattan Baby, that's another Fulci movie. I didn't realize he had two in one year. You don't fuck around. Um, Night Warning, which I've never seen. Unhinged. Uh, Alone in the Dark, which I think was an insane pick once. Uh, that that movie's awesome. Great cast. Honeymoon Horror, Madman, Blit, Dorm the Drip Blood, which is great. Also known as Pranks. I've got the Blu-ray of that that has the flip cover where one is the, the cover for Pranks and the other is the Dorm the Drip Blood. I love those attention to detail releases in a yeah. A company puts something out that has an alternate title, and they'll have those flippable covers that have the different poster arts and stuff. Those are always a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the, another great thing about Scream Factory, man. Um, Panic, which I'm unfamiliar with. Pieces, which we talked about, which is awesome. Parasite, early Charles Band movie. Demi Moore's first movie. Yeah. In 3D, enough said. <laughs> I have the big uh, box VHS of that still floating around here somewhere. <laughs> sweet. Big box. I love big boxes. Uh, hospital Hospital Massacre, which which we have on the, we have we have yeah, that. Yeah. And yeah, and we still still haven't watched it. We got that one when we were doing the hospital one. The hospital episode. Cause I thought about that. I was like, oh that's on the list. I should finally watch it. Yeah. How did we go this whole podcast without mentioning Humongous, which I've never actually seen, but I was obsessed with this box, with this box, just because the movie's called Humongous. It's like the greatest title ever. It's one of the most poorly lit movies I've ever seen. Oh, it's really, it. really hard to tell what's going on in that flick. Probably to its benefit. Ooh, yeah. There's yeah a screenshot. Jason, pull up a couple screenshots. That is bad. Or maybe your computer shut down. I don't know what we're... <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my favorites, Curse of the Cannibal Confederates, <laughs> which is a trauma release. I'm assuming that's a trauma rename. I'd have to do some research, see if I could find the original title. But, oh, my God, I've seen it. I used to own it. It's bad. It's really bad. Um, 
Slayer, the Slayer, which is pretty cool. Um, I remember that. I remember the big box for that um, was a duo on the Continent Continental Video um, label, and it was a duo of that and Fred Olin Ray's Scalps. Uh, the Sender, Next of Kin, um, and if you want a movie with both Michael Ironside and William Shatner, then you need to check out Visiting Hours, uh, Satan's Mistress, Incubus, Burning House we mentioned, The Entity, which I'm sad to say I have never seen. I've never seen The Entity, and the more I hear about it, the more I want to. Invitation to Hell, Blood Song. Um, Aftermath, uh, House Where Evil Dwells, White Dog. Is that the, is that the Bava movie? White Dog? Is, that, is that, that's the one with the, the dog that's, uh, like, trained to be a racist, isn't it? Oh, um, you're right, you're right, okay. Not what I was thinking of. That's Sam Fuller, okay. Uh, do, 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 do. And, yeah. And the biggest success from 1982, E.T. Yeah. The one that dwarfed them all. Why does that show up when you Google 1982 horror movies? E.T. Yeah, talk about dwarfing them all. We shouldn't even mention that. We should all hate that movie because that's what killed the thing. Which also you killed can't kill Harbinger's career. Oh, yeah. He's done for. We'll never hear of him well, again. Well, you know, he lost, he lost his studio deal after that. That's what I meant. So, yeah. Did I miss any? Any uh, honorable mentions? There's one I purposely didn't miss because it's my Insane's pick. Oh. So. Anybody else got any that we missed? Those are all my favorites from 1982. (laughs) Other than Brian Clark. My top number one. Aw, you're so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's uh, take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll do some segments. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. And we're back. And it's segments time here on Tech of the Killer Podcast. Where should we start? Oh, I know. Shout-outs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shout-outs. <laughs> I got so excited for something later, I forgot. It's my turn. <laughs> it's time for... Shout-outs! Okay, just asked, you know, a, as Mike would say, a prolific year 1982 was. I wonder what everyone else thought. So, on Facebook, Derek Johns says, The Thing, Creep Show, Halloween 3, Friday 13th Part 3, Summer Party Massacre, Pieces, and so many more. Keep up the great work, everyone. Thanks, Derek. He's, wrong, he's not wrong about any of those. <laughs> Uh, Tim Lennerer says, 
limiting myself to one movie, which none of us could ever do, I'm going to go with Q, The Winged Serpent, because Larry Cohen is a madman. It has a really boss stop-motion monster, and because there's a mime with a gun. Yep. Gerald Martin says, sifting through the internet's sort of movies year by year, I have to go with John Carpenter's The Thing. Excellently executed with an all-star cast, except Kurt Russell, special mention for the remake of Cat People, because I love the leads in that one as well as the soundtrack. Another mention for The Sender, which have me the heebie-jeebies when I was young. The Sender, I wouldn't talk about that. Okay, check it out. Thanks, Jill. Brenda York says, I was only 12 then, and horror was booming. Friday 13th, 3D, Basket Case, Poltergeist, and Hospital Massacre were shocking the masses. Carl Gustafs Rutz says, he has been with us since the beginning of time. The ancient Phoenicians knew him as Jeral. The Egyptians called him Skitagtep. He's the reason Judeo-Christian religions find pork unclean, and he most recently slithered back into our dimensions in 1982. My oh. friend, John Stalter. <laughs> that is a better intro for John, who's not even on the show tonight, than I have for yeah. Mike later. So, well done, <laughs> Carl. Thanks, Carl. And, yes. Susanna, zombie lover. Susie, what's up? She says, of course she says, Slumby, Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> and Creep Show and Visiting Hours. Nice. Jimmy Dalton, the writer of the theme song of the show, he says, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street in theaters opening night. Uh, Thanks, Jimmy. Is <laughs> uh, that 83? Yeah. Was it, 83? it was close. It was close. Yeah, he was, but he was probably, you know, they were filming it in 82, so it counts. Thanks, Jimmy. Scott Collins says, John Carpenter's the thing. And Nick Leadham, he says, Basket Case is a classic, but its competition is too tough. My favorite is probably the thing, though Poltergeist and Creepshow are also some of my favorite horror movies. Unhinged and the New York Ripper were all right for exploitation films. Unhinged wasn't the shock fest I thought it would be and is far from original but it has some decent moments New York Ripper actually surprised me especially since I don't know what to expect going in I just grabbed it off the shelf at Family Video back when they were mostly VHS and that's all we have on Facebook and um, I guess uh, Twitter's down because there weren't any Replies on Twitter, so yeah, Twitter's were. broken. Apparently, there was. I swear there was at least one. No, I mean I just looked. Maybe I was. I mean, just my shit. <laughs> hmm. No, checking, checking. Hmm. Okay. So obviously Twitter was been broken over the last week. Oh no! Wait, I found one. Oh, <laughs> read it. Bradley Taylor says, oh, yeah. uh, some of my choices for 1982 films are Friday the 13th Part 3, 
Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Madman, and Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Bradley Taylor. Well, hey, guess what? Well, that's, that's shout outs. That is shout outs. Thank you, Jason. You're, you got it. Next. Oh, my gosh. Something weird's happening. Oh, in this I show. know. So excited. It's new, it's different, which means I don't like it. What? <laughs> that's, that, that sentence is true, but I think you're going to like this. Oh, okay. I think I will too. Terry, our very own Terry, has a new segment on the show. How exciting! Wicked Words is done. Yeah, you know, screw reading. That's yeah. right, Brian. She finally Reading's on board with done. us. Aww, she's on our team again. <laughs> <laughs> if only that was the reason. <laughs> but now she's going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects: yeah. women, the ladies. That's right. <laughs> Particularly women in horror with her brand new segment. Let's hear it for Wicked Women with Wear Tear. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sorry for you uh, listeners who enjoyed the the book segments. I know Mike's upset because now he uh, I can't. I'm not reading the books for him. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> But I'm excited to kind of just highlight a different lady in horror every episode for you. The first one, I had to pick an iconic person for the first one. I felt like I just had to. So we'll just do a little update on Miss Heather Langenkamp. Woo! Um, (laughs) Now, we all know her from Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously. Um, and I know we've talked about how she also does special effects makeup now. Um, she's married to David Leroy Anderson, and together they co-founded AFX Studios. Um, and they've done a lot of cool stuff in the past, um, not necessarily always horror-related things. They've done, um, like, uh, Cinderella Man and I think Evan Almighty... Uh, But they've also done some really awesome things like the 2004 Dawn of the Dead, um, Cabin in the Woods, Star Trek Into Darkness. I think she even, she did a small cameo in that as well, but she was in full makeup. Um, Cool. But I was surprised to find out that apparently they also have been working on some more recent horror television shows. looks like they've been working on some American Horror Story. I'm not sure if it's just the most recent season or all of them. Um, apparently, she also had an uncredited um, appearance on season four, I believe. Mm. Which, I just watched that and I did not catch her. So, I don't know if she was in some sort of makeup or if I'm just blind. But I'll have to <laughs> revisit that. Uh, and also, Scream Queens... Which we were just talking about how that show is kind of dumb. But hey, you know, <laughs> whatever floats your boat. I, well, is it is it irony that she's on, that she works exactly on that show? Exactly right. And, yeah. yeah, she's one of the most notable, iconic scream queens, and she's working on that show alongside Jamie Lee Curtis. So that's really it's pretty cool. Um, she also came out with. I Am Nancy, which is a horror documentary about her portraying Nancy Thompson. Um, 
that was back in about five years ago, I think. Um, but she still does a lot of stuff for that. And she's on the convention circuit. We did see her two years ago. Or was that this year? That was two years ago. That was two years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's still trucking. She's got two kids. Momming it up. Um, but it looks like she's starting to kind of get back into acting. Like, uh, there are some new credits on her IMDb page. Um, she's in a show called The Bay, which I'm not familiar with. Oh. I'm not sure if anyone else has heard of that. Um, a movie called Home. And apparently she's also going to be in uh, a new Hellraiser movie called Hellraiser Judgment. Oh, I think I heard that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she's kind of getting back out there and getting into the acting rink again. So that'll be interesting to see. But, yeah. Good old Nancy. Nancy. Nice. You know what else is great about her? She's just the sweetest person. She was yes. really, really nice. She's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> she made me about throw up, but she was so nice. <laughs> you were nervous. It was awesome. Yeah, um... Anybody remember that sitcom that she was on, Just the Ten of Us? Yeah. Yeah. I always find it interesting that, you know, she's she's best known for, you know, playing Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street. But when she was on that show, she had a stalker. Right, because that show had been canceled or something like that. Yeah. They were pissed about it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's, I, th- I, I just find the irony in that, that, uh, you know, we grew up with the stigma of like, oh, people like horror movies are sick and twisted and deranged, you know, but like her horror movie fans are the sweetest people. It was when she was on a sitcom that she had a crazy person following mm-hmm. her. So. Yeah. So take that. <laughs> Much like the Mary Rose, flagship of King Henry VIII that sank in 1545 was raised from the Solent on October 11th, 1982, Insane Mike dredges up another oddity for you from the mucky bottom of the ocean of horror on Insane's Picks. Good times. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, so I picked a movie from 1982. It was originally on my list, and I was and I didn't get a chance to tell you guys, don't talk about it, because I'm saving it for Insane's Picks, because it was another one that I watched that I watched, and I was like, holy balls, this is totally an insane's pick. I'm keeping it for myself. Um, here's the thing, I want to give a little setup about this particular movie. I remember watching it again, referencing um, the USA Network for the third time in this episode um, that uh, I first saw this on the USA Network, maybe up all night, maybe like Saturday Nightmares, one of those shows and uh, I hated it. And this is like during the time where like I was just discovering horror and so there's there's still a little bit of uh, snobbery in me of like you know, you know, ah, uh, horror movies are dumb, but I was starting to fall in love with them anyway. So, like, if I found something that was not on par with the stuff that I liked, I hated it, and um, and I, uh, you know, let the world know about it. Now, with this particular film, I, at the time, I hated it, and I swore I would never watch it again. I hated it that much. Rewatching it again for this show. 
fucking love it. Oh but I love it on a level of like what a lot of Insane's picks are all about. It is bad. It is horrible. It is very um, odd tonally. The movie is called Trick or Treats. From, of course, 1982. I should, probably should have not wasted time saying that. It had a really cool poster, though. I remember the box art. It's a it's a bag, which you would assume, is, you know, it's got handles on it, so you assume it's like what the kids were using to go on trick-or-treat. It's split down the side, and you can see there's something big inside the bag. You can see, see something peeking over the top, which looks like hair. And through the slit, you see a human ear. And then there's like uh, there's like a bunch of blood splotches along the uh, along the um, table that it's sitting on or whatever. So it's very much a cash cow um, Halloween ripoff because it's about a babysitter that's stuck watching this kid on Halloween night, um, and there's a deranged lunatic that escapes from a mental institution that goes to the house uh, to kill people. Now. It's, now, here's the little bit of differences here. Um, the babysitter, uh, she's stuck watching this really bratty kid. I mean, he is a little asshole. You want to <sighs> punch him in the punch him in his fat face. Um, and he keeps playing these, like, vicious pranks on her all night long. Um, and the killer that escapes from the mental institution is not a silent masked killer like Michael Myers. He talks, he's, you know... Um, just a normal dude, except for he's crazy. He's in a mental institution. He wants to kill people. But he's the boy's father. Um, and in the beginning of the movie, it starts off where this guy, he's dressed in a nice business suit, whatnots, and um, reading the paper out on the deck by the pool of his house. And his wife comes in, and then all of a sudden these two guys in white jackets come come in and are, t are carting this guy away who you're assuming is this perfectly normal average American dude, husband, father, um, and they drag him off to a mental institution. There's no explanation as to why his, his wife had him committed, and it's like, a, it's like a five minute scene of them just wrestling with this guy trying to drag him away to the mental institution. Like, and of course, there's a pool, so they have to have somebody get dumped in the pool. He gets out, and then the other one gets dumped in the pool, and then all three of them get thrown in the pool. So you got that. Um, and that's all before the opening credits. So then we get into, uh, into the movie itself where the girl is hired by this agency she works for to babysit this kid. Now, I don't know if they're trying to say she's a teenager, uh, but uh, I don't think they really are. Because um, she's dating this guy, played by Steve Railsback, by the way. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so wasted, though, too. He has, like, three scenes, and it's over the telephone. So he doesn't even leave uh, the one location he's at. Oh. Uh, so, so wasted. Um but anyway, and he's doing this play, and she's supposed to go see him in this play, but now she has to go go do this job. So it's very, it's very um, obvious that uh, you know that she's not a teenager. So I don't think that it's even supposed to be teenagers getting killed in this movie. Um, <clears throat> the weird thing about this, so the guy, it's Halloween. The guy decides he's going to escape from the mental institution and go and kill his now ex-wife, um, who is now married. Uh, to, of all people, in uh, again another weird cameo in this movie, um, uh, David Carradine. 
So you have that in this movie too, who is being very, very creepy, um, pervy towards the babysitter when she first shows up at the house. He's like, he even so goes so far as to start to unzip, um, forcefully unzip her blouse right when his wife walks into the room too. So very, very creepy. Anyway, um, so they leave and then she's stuck watching this little shithead kid uh, all night and into the next day. And the whole movie is just scene after scene of this little, this little bastard kid playing these pranks on this girl all night long and her screaming and then her yelling at him and then threatening him and, and him, you know, giving little smart ass looks back at her for an hour and a half of this bullshit, you know, and then, and then it cuts to like the guy escaping from the mental institution. How he does this is he, um, he's getting tucked into bed by the nurse and, um, he grabs the nurse and forces her down and ties her up and dresses as the nurse, who the guy is like twice the nurse's size, but somehow the nurse's outfit still fits. Dresses as the nurse to escape out of the mental institution. And then as he's walking down the streets of whatever town this is, is, is he keeps getting hit on by uh, by guys outs, uh, outside of movie theaters or whatever. This movie totally is really weird because it's, it's set up to play straight as a horror movie. But it's laced with comedy. Now, is the comedy intentional? I, I think so, but I haven't really been able to confirm that. So it's just really weird because it's paced as if it's just a straight slasher film. But there's these, these elements of like, you know, having the guy in drag walking down the street and getting hit on by guys. Or even just all the mental institution scenes in general. Because first of all, they're in they're, they're just in this... I love I love in like no budget movies that have to have a scene that takes place in a mental institution where you don't really get any um, you don't get any uh, structure of the location of the room. It's just one big black room with a bunch of tables where people in um, in uh, hospital gowns playing board games. That seems to be the common trope in in um, no budget movies that have to have insane asylum scenes. Um, I think we can all thank uh, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest for that. Uh, but anyway. Um, so there's no, there's, there's like, you don't see walls, you don't see a door, you don't see windows in this room. It's just empty blackness into infinity. So it's obviously on some shitty stage that they didn't feel the need to decorate. They just feel like they could hide it with just having complete blackness behind them. So obviously this movie wears its budget hard on its sleeve. Um, so, so the, so after he escapes, like the nurse is giving this interview in that same room around all the other lunatics about what happened to her and it's really funny she says this she says one line that's a really real innuendo gag and then like which i don't remember the line i should have wrote it down um and then just all of a sudden all the insane people just start kind of swarming around and just engulf the nurse and the news reporter while they're still trying to have a normal conversation uh in front of the camera so it's just little weird moments like this that just doesn't that just is out of nowhere and doesn't fit and now that I think about it, it feels like all these like quote unquote humorous moments all happen around the insane asylum and the escape mental patient. Like case in point, um, one of his friends or one of the one of the babysitter's friends come o comes over to hang out with her, and for some reason the babysitter's not around. She can't find her, and the killer um, breaks into the house and ends up killing killing this girl. 
And after he kills her, he looks down on her and he's like, Aw, you're not Joan! Which I thought was like a hilarious line. Like, he killed this w- woman thinking that it's his wi- ex-wife and it totally wasn't. So, it's a weird movie. Uh, I love it now just for its its oddness and its weird tones. Um and if you can find it, it is in full on YouTube, but I don't think it's ever had like a DVD release. But definitely check it out. Trick or Treats. That's Trick or Treats with an S at the end. Cool. Yeah. The only two I know are Trick or Treat. Which, you know, one being the anthology movie from a few years ago, and one being the one with Ozzy Osbourne playing a priest who denounces <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God, I love that movie so much. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, well, that concludes this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, guys, for talking about 1982. Yeah, it's a good year. I'll we'll have to find another year to talk about. There's a couple. So, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. I think I think this is a topic we can pull from at any given time, just doing a particular year. Um, I thought it was fun, and and we can do a lot more of these. I think mm-hmm. so. All right. So, but until next time, jump back into the DeLorean and go back to the future. Good night, everybody. Oh no! Could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the killer.